Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and greetings from Tennis Podcast Towers, Melbourne, where it's 139 a.m. and tennis is happening. Of course it is. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we do. Here we are again in the middle of the night. Oh, hooray for Matt and hooray for the troopers that are Victoria Azarenka and Zhu Lin. They are. They still have. A, they still have a way to go. Azarenka leading two one in the deciding set. She lost the first to Zhu. She took the second six one, although it felt like a far closer set than six one. And uh, they're locked in battle in the third. Azarenka has the break, but it feels like it has a way to go. I predict a post 2 a.m. finish. Yeah, mm. so I think that's a fair bet. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I think we've made our point about that. I what think scheduling, will, scheduling will come up again later in the show. I just want Azarenka to be asked about it on court is what I want. And I want her to tell us what she really feels about being asked to go onto the court at 11.33 p.m. Hmm. <sighs> Because she is somebody that's not afraid to say things. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe she will. I don't know whether there'll be a press conference after this match. I don't know how many journalists will have stayed. There aren't any Belarusian journalists on site. So you're relying on international journalists. And I don't, I don't know whether anybody would stay for this. But it'll be interesting to see. And we'll keep you posted uh, in future pods. We'll let you know. Who, who wins this match, even though you'll know by the time you're listening. That is what we do here on the Tennis Podcast. What a service we provide. Uh, it has been a day at the tennis, hasn't it? We lost Iga Sviontek from the women's draw today, the world number one, the dominant world number one, the reigning two-time Grand Slam champion. And we lost her in straight sets to Elena Rabakina, 6-4, 6-4. This was the first match of the day, well, the second match of the day on the Rod Laver Arena, but it followed on from an actually hilarious Legends match. Yeah, in which the Bob Bob and Mike Bryan, who look more ripped than they did when they were on the tour... um, (laughs) <laughs> rather, rather overdoing it against. <laughs> they, they didn't uh, get the memo about uh, legends tennis. Yeah, absolutely destroying Mark Philippoussis <laughs> and Mark Bag- Marcus Bagdatis. I, I had a really weird moment where I thought that the Bryans were back because <laughs> because legends doubles teams don't normally make any sense. 
You know, it's normally, for example, Marcus Bagdatis and Mark Philippoussis. And you think, oh, well, that's obviously the legends. I saw the Bryans and I was like, huh? What's... What have I missed? Are you, are you advocating that they split up and go with other partners and then face each other? That'd be good. Would watch. They they might need to do that in order to prevent them from from, from winning the tournament everyone. awkwardly easily. <laughs> because um, yeah, it was it, they didn't get the memo for sure today, but it was highly amusing. Uh, they were finished before twelve thirty, which was the not before start time for Sviontek and Rabakina. We were in our seats for first ball. Oh yeah, that was fun. The three of us, uh, the first time the three of us had sat in the press seats and uh, and watched an entire match together this tournament, and and we picked a good. And I would have loved a third set, but it was a great, great two set. Seeing Sviontek, I know, I know you find watching her cruise very very compelling and I I do enjoy it but I always want to watch a battle more than I want to watch anybody cruise and watching a as a player as dominant as Sviontek try and battle and find solutions which she was unable to do I found that very very compelling and actually she that was something she talked about after after the match sort of inability to problem solve and we'll come on to that but Elena Rabakina, clinical, clean, beautiful ball, ball striking, composed. She had it all mm. today. I know the conditions suit her. I know we we didn't think this would be sort of if if you'd said before the tournament Yushvante is going to win, losing the or perhaps before the draw Yushvante is going to lose in the fourth round. You'd think, wow, gosh, heck of an upset, but. In fact, Matt, it was you that I think after the third, first round, catching a glimpse of Elena Rabakina, just started to have eyes on this potential matchup and the possibility of an upset. But even so, Elena Rabakina today, wow. Oh, she was awesome. And as you said, the conditions suit her, but you still have to go out there and perform in those conditions. And she just laid down a marker in the very first game, didn't she, by breaking breaking Sviantek's serve, just catching hold of some massive returns off both her forehand and her backhand. And I don't know. I mean, I felt like Sviantek had opportunities there, for sure. Like, I don't think it was a given that Rebekina was going to win that match just because she was playing well in good conditions. I did feel like there was maybe more that Sviantek could have done. She might have, she might have some regrets about, about that probably that second set in particular where she was ahead. But even so, just the task of facing Rabakina in those conditions just looks really uncomfortable. You know, she's got a massive serve, she's got massive returns, so hard to get the ball out of her strike zone. So hard to ruffle her? Impossible, I think. <laughs> I mean, literally, tournament organisers have been sort of trying to do that since since Wimbledon and... Um, not not necessarily deliberately, but she just doesn't seem too sort of ruffled. And um, now she was she was absolutely awesome today. And if anyone had any sort of doubts about Elena Rabakina's status, and I do think people maybe have done since since Wimbledon, it was a weird tournament, and her not getting points made it weird. And as a result of that, she's had some really tough draws since Wimbledon, you know, in the first round of tournaments, she's kept running into top, top players. So she maybe hasn't had, you know, incredible results since then. But 
she's a Wimbledon and a Grand Slam champion for a reason. And that reason is that her, her peak level, which she was pretty much at today, is fearsome. She didn't try anything different, did she, Iga Svantec? That was something that you were struck by, David. Tried to sort of um, get to the bottom of a little bit in the press conference, which was a, a fascinating post-match press conference with Svantec. She is brilliant with the press. She really is. She's not She's not defensive. She's not afraid of of the press. She handles questions thoughtfully, even when she's devastated, which she clearly was today. She She... She she really is fantastic uh, in front of the media in that sort of scenario, and uh, we're very grateful for it. But, yeah, you were struck by the similarities between this match and her defeat to Elise Cornet at Wimbledon last year, which obviously ended the streak, and the fact that she just kept on trying to go for it. And obviously going for it is brilliant, and it's one of, it's one of the things we love about Iga Svantec, but when it's not, working it can look quite alarming you've got to get the thing in it doesn't, it doesn't matter how hard you can hit the ball and tennis the, analysis from david law yeah, I mean, get the, the, the thing in well when she was playing corner that day i can't imagine the number of unforced errors she hit in that final set and she wouldn't pull back and i think part of it is because she was so at her limits mentally and emotionally psychologically she'd had she'd had enough really and she just couldn't fight anymore so she was just swinging and in this instance it really was an interesting press conference because the the fact is she admitted to really feeling the pressure in the way into this tournament and and you asked her about it and you followed up and you asked her to to elaborate on why she said she hadn't had a good time recently it was a great great follow-up and 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 the fact that she just said you know i i've been I, I felt the pressure. I've been playing not to lose rather than to win. And um, and being number one as was problematic in that way for her this particular time. Uh, and I I think that she has to... When she's playing a player like Rebecca, who's the sound of the ball strike on, on her is different to the other mm. players. It is a lovely sound. I mean, it's quite goes through you a bit you know it makes me shudder there, I there find was... her quite hypnotic as a tennis player there's such a smoothness yeah. to, to her she's a good watch I think and but and I really actually liked watching Svantec trying to decode that and she goes three low up in the second set and you can't imagine at that point that there's mm. that there's not going to be a third set um, but I feel she panics sometimes in a way that she's so conditioned herself in, in a successful way, to want to dominate, that she's trying to dominate off fiercely struck Rebecca in her forehands. Well, that's not going to work, really. Uh, you've, got, you've got to take something off it. I, I agree on the panic. She didn't seem to be playing with the confidence and the steely, baked-in self-belief of a dominant world number one. There was... There was a frailty there, which we saw hints at at the United Cup when she was so devastated by by that defeat to, to Pagula, I think, wasn't it? Um, so there were there were clues, but it was still quite alarming to, to witness and a little alarming to to hear her comments in press. She was 
incredibly frank. She said, the last couple of weeks have been hard. I felt the pressure. I wanted not to lose more than I wanted to win, and I need to work on that. I wasted too much energy worrying before the tournament and in the first days of the tournament. This is... This is not new for a world number one. It's it's a cliche for a reason, isn't it? That staying at the top is harder than getting there. But th- this is it's kind of the bear trap, isn't it? For for world number ones to to unusual to hear them say it. Absolutely, like that, isn't it? they might say it mm. after the fact and reflect on it and say, "Gosh, at that time, that's how I was feeling, and it was tough." But to hear her say it when she's in it is fascinating. But a bit of a worry. Well, she's been, she's been on that that brink, that knife edge for ages, and that's I've said to you before. When she's dominating, she's either just the right side of it, mm. but I often wonder, worry about it teetering over. Yeah, I agree, and I, w- I was particularly struck by by that line that you read out, Catherine, that that she gave you in terms of not wanting to lose and not finding joy in. in in winning that's that's a rough that's a dark place to be in i think that's when that's when it stops being fun relief rather than joy yeah mm. and i think um you know i think i'm sure there's always some relief attached but you've got to you've got to find joy and i don't know like how great it seemed to be Igor Svantec during the streak you know i think she was absolutely on the right side of things then um and it and it does appear to have to have switched over and She's a fantastic tennis player, so I don't I don't doubt that at all. But it, it didn't sound necessarily like she did after Wimbledon, which was sort of, you know, a bit more defiant in terms of, you know, there's another Grand Sam coming up. This was this was a bit more this could take a while. Like I think she said she'll get over the defeat, but how she's feeling I think could take a while yet to um to sort of get back to how she wants. Yeah, David, you asked her about the similarities between her situation now and in the summer last year when the the streak ended at Wimbledon and how fantastically she regrouped and came back and won the next slam. You know, what can you take from that experience to, to draw on here? And she said, I see these as completely different situations. I don't see many similarities, which is fascinating because... On paper, there are many similarities. But what I heard there was, I'm not feeling like I'm going to come back and win the next slam like I did. Yeah, it it sounds like a bit of a rebuilding job is required for her mental approach. And the fact that she was so upfront about that so soon after a match, I found that very interesting. Mm. It's, It's impressive, actually. And I think she was able to write off Wimbledon in a way. In that it was grass. She'd just been on this incredible run. I think it was... I don't want to say she was expecting to lose at Wimbledon. But I think she knew she was... Less of a a surprise. Yeah, I think she knew she was very vulnerable there. I think probably her own expectations were, you know, probably slightly lower of herself. Mm. And this is a different situation to that, I suppose. Elena Rabakina is as convinced as we are that she is fueled by <laughs> her court assignments, both here and at pretty much every tournament that she's played since becoming the Wimbledon champion. 
She is not rising to questions about it, isn't she? <laughs> I, we tried. I got <laughs> burned by Elena Rabakina in press today. I was high on how well the exchange with Shriontek had gone. Um, asked Rabakina what I thought was a reasonable question. Uh, and she she humiliated me. Thank you very much, Elena. Um, I, I think she, to be fair, I think she misheard a... A crucial word. A crucial word in the question, which was first time on Rod Laver Arena this tournament. She said, well, you obviously haven't been following my career very closely because <laughs> I actually played Ash Barty on the Rod Laver Arena. I was quite, quite glad I had my back to you at that point. Mm. <laughs> And you can't was, was kind of you front. can't kind of talk back in a in a no, press conference. No. You can't go. But you didn't hear me. Well, <laughs> hold on a minute. Yeah. Um, but you know, I wasn't the only one that she, I was the only one that she you know completely humiliated. But I wasn't the only one that she um, shut down when trying to probe at that yeah, area of discussion. But and, and I. I do think she she spoke with some confidence in that press conference. I think she's getting used to it all more, and uh, I think she she looks like she's more of a, a stronger athlete when she's on the court. I, I I really sense that she's she's put some some muscle on, to be honest, and uh, upper body muscle, and 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 I sense that she's put some some extra confidence into her system for dealing with all of us. You know, she just seems to have a bit more, um, you know, sass, yeah. I really. I mean, feel free to row back on the confidence, Elena, at any, at any time, <laughs> just, just a little bit. It might have just gone a bit too far with it there. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, those, I think, are all perfectly legitimate questions because, I mean, she was the one who brought it up herself mm. after Wimbledon, wasn't she? I think it was at the US Open in her pre-tournament press conference there she was very unhappy about the court assignment she'd got in Cincinnati where I think she played Muguruza and they were way out on I don't know court four or five or something but maybe now like maybe now she feels ready to win this tournament and so she's playing all of that stuff down because it would be a distraction or whatever maybe maybe the fact that she was so sort of open and outspoken about that at the US Open was perhaps a sort of sign that she maybe wasn't in a sort of winning mindset, perhaps. There were other things sort of on her mind, whereas here she's a lot more sort of, I don't know, just ready, I think. I think I think she's playing on the court as though it, she really cares about it and it ma- makes a difference to her, but she's not going to talk so much about it because that would, you know, maybe arguably be a distraction that, that she doesn't need. How ready, though, is it possible to be for an inform Yelena Ostapenko? <laughs> because that is what Elena Rabakina now faces. A mere half an hour after Rabakina's win over Sviantec on Rod Lave Arena on the second court, Ostapenko was completing a 7-5-6-3 defeat of Coco Goff. Now, I'm, I'm gutted to see Coco Goff at the tournament. I always think a tournament is better with Coco Goff in it on the court and in interviews and in the press conference room. She lights up a competition in, in every way, but... <laughs> <laughs> Catherine loves Ostapenko. Ostapenko is everything. Yeah, she ten- was today. Let's, the tennis today was 
unbelievable. Coco Goff did not know what to do. It was only her athleticism and tenacity that made her competitive in that match because on the, on the tennis front, she was rocked, rocked on her heels. Ostapenko just brimming with confidence, taking the ball early. Just I could... I just heard the word thwack in my head every time she hit the ball. She took issue with every Hawkeye Live call, pretty much, even when it was very clearly out. There was a point in the second set where she made the most stupendous face after Hawkeye Live called her very obviously out, serve, out. I mean, it was, it was several inches out. <laughs> And then she just goes and hits a second serve ace. And that is the energy that I am here for. And then, of course, well, not of course, actually. Laura Robson brilliantly asked her about her issue with Hawkeye Live uh, in the on-court interview afterwards. She said, are you a a fan of... of, How did she phrase it, Laura? Didn't she say... Do you not? Do you trust it? Do, do you not believe that Hawkeye Live is getting these and things she goes, right? Honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is is a gif that you'll be receiving daily <laughs> in various different con- contexts. Uh, it's already doing the rounds on social media. She is compelling at the moment, Elena Ostapenko. Another brilliant press conference. Conference. She seems to have maturity and perspective while somehow still maintaining her fearlessness in both her tennis and her personality. And and look, in, in sometimes that fearlessness costs her because she's uncompromising, she's unprepared to change her game, a little bit like Yuga Svantec today, and sometimes it will be a horror show. But when it's on, blimey. She 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 was quite something today in well, in every way. There's no other player in the world that could have got as near to her ground strokes as Coco Goff did because there's nobody else that moves that well, and she still mm. hit her off the court. That's that is in a sensational sight. Mm. Yeah. I really hope that Rabatkina Ostapenko features the Rabatkina and Ostapenko that we saw today it's just so hard when you get two strikers yeah, like it is. that it is it could be an error fest it could be an error fest or it could be a dream oh let's go with the dream <laughs> yeah I, I asked rebecca now, you know you you said you had to go for it against fiontech from ball one do you do the same against somebody else who only knows how to go for it from ball one and she said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we both got absolutely sassed by Elena Rabakina today. Savaged by Elena Rabakina. She, she spoke, um, Ostapenko, in, in the press conference about how it took her a few years to adjust to her life turning on its head. That was fascinating, After winning the it? French Open. And she said it with a smile on her face and a total acceptance of of what that all meant, as I say, this incredible perspective. She, a real kindness and grace and patience with herself. She was like, yeah, I won the French Open. I was a teenager. It took me a few years to figure that out. 
I, you know, I don't think she has any regrets or feel feels like that's lost time. I felt like, I felt like I hope Emma Raducanu is watching this press conference and hearing these words. You see, I think I thought she was saying she'd lost some years, but oh, but but interesting. but that it's okay. Like, yeah, that she's okay with it. Well, you they're know, not lost can, years. You know, they're just. But she's she is admitting that that, that the circumstances of winning so young and not really being ready for it and all the stuff that comes with it, photo shoots and interest and and peop and in her words, people expecting me to win every tournament. Um it, it really cost her probably some of her development. Mm. Um, and I, I'm quite sure this is going to be some of that that's happened to Radicano. But I also see with Ostapenko, she can come out the other side. And uh, mm. and this this is her. And I, I love seeing her now in this position and talking so, so like, like an adult, but still with that twinkle in her eye. Absolutely. This sort of childlike she wonder and fearlessness. But also a maturity. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Coco Goff was very upset in defeat. She'd been crying. She cried again in the press conference, but still spoke brilliantly. Um, I I think I don't think this defeat is necessary. I don't think we've learned anything new about Coco Goff. This tournament, either good or bad is that do you do you know what i mean by that i I don't think i've really changed how i feel about where coco goff's at this tournament i don't think there's any cause for alarm but it's not progress bit of a missed opportunity Mm. yeah i guess so because especially given that Igor Sviantek has been such a problem for her. You know, mm. that match-up they were due to meet in the quarterfinals. I'm not saying Rebecca is, is much easier, but, you know, we do know that, that tennis is match-ups and that's been such a problematic one for Goff. Sviantek, for once, being out of the way, it does feel a little bit like a, like a missed opportunity, I suppose. But I agree. I think I feel very similarly about Coco Goff as I did a couple of weeks ago. She's... She's amazing. Uh, she has still a problem on the forehand in particular. And she got beaten by a player who, you know, kind of at her peak can hit anyone off the court. So a bit of a tricky, tough draw there as well. Um, but I did feel like, yes, she was using her athleticism and she was trying to make it a, a scrap... I felt like she needed to just make more adjustments. Like, I don't know, just mix mm-hmm. it up more. I didn't feel like she changed her game that much. I mean, I know that's hard when Ostapenko is literally just sort of pelting the ball at you as hard as she You've possibly can. You've got to can. try and disrupt her rhythm, though. You've got you? to. It's the only thing you can do in that right. scenario. You've just got so little time in best of three. You know, when you're setting a yeah. breakdown... You know, what you need to be doing then is sort of changing your game, but you're on the brink of defeat. You don't want to be doing something that's out of your comfort zone. It's it's a very tricky thing to do. And Both of those matches made me yearn for for women to play best of five because, you know, Coco Goff has the fitness and the athleticism and the composure, mm. I think, to to try and figure things out from two sets of love down. The same with Iga Sviantek. You know, we talked about her panicking, that when things aren't going your way in best of three 
well, I mean, it's simple maths, isn't it? You have less time, you know, and that induces, is more likely to induce panic. I'd, I'd love to see Iga Svantec trying to figure that out from two sets to love down and... Yeah, me and, too. ...and battle. Um, By the way, Netflix... And She's up for it. Ostapenko's <laughs> up for it. And we're up for it. Yeah, we're So we'll make it so. Both Andrescu and Ostapenko this week have said, yes, I would say yeah. yes to Netflix if they asked me. Catherine and, and I double-teamed Ostapenko <laughs> to get no the answer. They are no-brainers. I said, look, this is a really polite sport. And you're not concerned with politeness. You're just yourself. Yeah. And a lot of people really enjoy that. Do you think tennis would be better off... If there were more people like you, and in a roundabout way, she said, yes. Yes. I I agree with her. I said, given that, as you've said, um, people maybe don't know what the real you is, would you be interested in going on Netflix and telling us all about it? (laughs) She said, yes. Brilliant. No brainer. Sign her up. (laughs) Um, I am going to need to defer to uh, you two. Uh, on Barbora Krejcikova and Jessica Pagula's match on the John Kane Arena because I came home this afternoon because I had a a a 7am start to go on the um, ABC uh, sports chat show Offsiders this morning, which was brilliant. I did it last year. I'm doing it again next weekend. Loved it, but uh, I'd only had three hours sleep. And for the good of this podcast, I (laughs) came home for a nap um, I thought I'll watch Pagula Krejcikova on the telly first and then on that. But it wasn't on the telly. They were showing two men's matches on the two channels and Krejcikova Pagula was unavailable unless you are able to sign up to some thing that you have to have an Australian address for. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was annoyed and it's another example of why scheduling matters. But... Tell me about the match. Uh, just another very impressive performance from Jessica Pagula, I think. Uh, two quite different sets. The first very close, 7-5 to Pagula. Uh, the second much more straightforward. And even in that first set, though, I felt like Pagula was the better player. She just couldn't she just couldn't quite shake Krejcikova off. You know, she had a break twice, which she lost. And they had these really competitive, drawn-out games. And I thought, oh, OK, maybe Krejcikova is sort of sucking Pagula in to that sort of, yeah, that, that quite drawn-out style that she has. And But Pagula just didn't didn't get involved in that. I, I felt like she, she sort of neutralised Krejcikova's game pretty well and then was really clean on her own ground strokes and hit a lot of winners and just just played really, really well. And again, that was all the more impressive because Iga Svantec had, had gone out just a, just a few hours earlier. The whole sort of feel of the tournament changed and particularly for someone like Jessica Pagula, who I know beat Svantec the other week and that's a result that's got everyone, I think, including us, really talking up her chances here. But... She has had a Svantec problem at, at at the slams. She's not alone in that. And for Svantec to go out, that meant that Pagula's draw was, was opened up and she was probably suddenly, I don't know, maybe the favourite for the title even. Certainly maybe the favourite to reach the final. 
and it just didn't look like any of that had even crossed her mind. You know, she just she's so able to just play her game and even just not be distracted by anything. And I thought that that was exactly the the Jessica Bagula that we saw today. There's a there's a relentlessness to her in a way that I think, you know, makes her a good practice partner for Francis Tiafa. You know, he likes playing with her because she's so sort of relentlessly good. And it's it's not in a really aggressive way. It's just in someone who is so controlled and knows their game and can go on to court. And you, you just know exactly how Jessica Pagula is going to play. And at the moment, it's it's such a high level. And even someone like Craig Shikova, who I thought played pretty well, couldn't couldn't actually live you know, live with it for much longer than a set. I'm blown away by how well she's dealt with her new status because I think this is new status for Jessica Pagula. She might just about have been in in the mix, maybe once or twice before, unconfirmed. Can't quite remember exactly, but she's hovered around the mix maybe. I've never heard people and quite a lot of people pick her for a title, a, a major title, pre-tournament as they have done this tournament and that's only now enhanced by Iga Svantec going out and her composure today in that scenario um, I th- I despite the fact that I didn't see the match just I, I mean, on my, paper I only joined so it at uh, five all and there'd been 55 minutes by that point and she then went and closed that out she broke and closed it out and I, I just thought mentally she is just a giant at the moment so strong. Krichiga was pushing her and pulling her around, trying to do all this stuff. She just doesn't let go. Doesn't doesn't give you a, a real glimmer. You've got you would have to take it from her at the moment, I think. Mm. And uh, and the thing is, without Sviantek in the draw, who's going to take it from her? Maybe Caroline Garcia, maybe Sabalenka, someone like that. But goodness me, it's kind of unless unless Pagula's playing a level that isn't really her and this is a hot streak. And I don't think it is necessarily a hot streak. I think she's raised her floor. Mm. Um, I think that she she's not going to give it to anybody. Go, somebody's going to have to play plumbing well to beat her. Well, it looks like the next someone uh, is likely to be Victoria Azarenka. She is currently serving for the match against Julin. 5-4, 15 all, although... This set has been a breakfast, so at two twelve AM there still could be a long way to go. Yeah. I just feel like with Pagula sometimes players have a moment and you maybe you don't even know that it is your moment, but you look back and you think that was their time. And I just really feel like we're in that time with Jessica Pagula and I always think of Milos Ranic. I'm not comparing Jessica Bagula to Milos Raonic, but I'm just saying... Always think of Milos Raonic when... <laughs> Only now. When, oh, Only when right. I think of this moment thing. And his uh, was... His I was... thought you meant when you watched Jessica Bagula. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Literally never. <laughs> I always thought Matt was pretty good at this. <laughs> but I'm just thinking in terms of a moment. Yes. Like you think back now and it was kind of that yep. grass court season of 2016. And he was unfortunate. He ran into peak Andy Murray mm. but that was kind of Milos Raonic's time and a lot of that was due to injury and I certainly don't wish that on Jessica Pagula and I hope she has you know many more years but 
right now she's just in such a peak and it seems like the draw is kind of set up for her you know she's she's played Ash Barty or Igor Sviontek in her Grand Slam quarterfinals and you know Zhu or Azarenka would be big tests in the quarterfinals but it's not Ash Barty or Igor Sviontek it just sort of feels like it's coming together for her and you know maybe she won't end up winning the tournament but I sort of think she might <laughs> yeah it that, that's a fantastic point actually it is to break back points for Xu Lin <laughs> the, of run course. Is, the run is there I'm, I'm really crazy. hoping that we can get the result of this in in the next couple of minutes so that we can very briefly say what our thoughts are on Victoria Azarenka being back in the Australian Open quarterfinals so I'm going to bias a few moments uh, by reminding people that we Throughout the Australian Open are sponsored by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider that are sending us to Indian Wells. Hooray! Hooray! Indian, but she's she's a sunshine doubles, double champion. No, not doubles, double sunshine doubles. I bet she could have won the doubles as well. Uh, Victoria Zarenka, isn't she? Yeah. It's no mean feat. That's right. Um, and speaking of the double, we'll be going to Indian Wells, but if you... Uh, if you're a US or UK resident and if you would like to try and win tickets to the Miami Open, the second part of the Sunshine Double, then you can enter our competition because Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are offering a package to one lucky tennis podcast newsletter subscriber in the US or the UK. They'll win a three-night stay at the Miami Open hotel for two guests, breakfast with insert sort of slightly C-list uh, tennis player here. <laughs> Who would anybody like to submit bus? someone? I'm going to go for uh, Rusevori. Emil <laughs> Rusevori. Yes. Right. Breakfast with Emil Rusevori possibly included. Can't <laughs> confirm, but it's a definite possibility. Uh, tickets to two full day and night sessions with premium hospitality and transportation to the venue all included. The link to subscribe to the newsletter is in our show notes and the URL to enter the competition is tennis uh, toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours. The number four tennis.com forward slash podcast we're also offering a five percent discount code to all friends of the tennis podcast for all steve fogel's international tennis tours during 2023 and it's match point azarenka oh it went out of trees assuming she takes it if it is azarenka. If only we had a commentator if it, if it is azarenka <laughs> does she have a chance i think that Sorry to dismiss her chances of getting any further before she's even got to the quarterfinals, but I think that's a tough matchup for for Azarenka against Bagula. I think it's a tough matchup, but I think she always, always has a oh, chance when she shot. hits a backhand cross court. <laughs> okay, now maybe winner. I think she's got a chance. Yeah, that was she's good. always got a chance in Australia, Matt. Huh? Oh, oh, she's won it twice. Yeah, you you can't write Azarenka off. Oh. I believe they've met in the Austra- at the Australian Open before. That was a couple of years ago, and, okay. and Jessica Pagula won. That was that was her first Grand Slam quarterfinal. That was a big moment for her beating Ooh. Azarenka. Ten year anniversary of her second win, Azarenka. Yeah, yeah. You, and that was the year that Sloane Stevens beat Serena mm. Williams, wasn't it? And and in the final, Azarenka had her panic attack. 
when Gosh, she was off yes. the court. Um, wow. You know, it was uh, it was a really challenging time, I think, for her in the spotlight and being the player mm. looked at and trying to get used to it all. And I don't think people quite got her, really. Incredible and, that she defended you know, that title. Yeah, absolutely. Actually. It was a huge achievement. Underrated achievement. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. What about the men's tennis that we've seen today? A five-set, not quite thriller, but almost thriller. I've written between Stefanos Tsitsipas and Yannick Sinner. Is is that a little bit unfair? I felt like it was a very, very good five-setter, five but I I'm not quite that. putting it in yeah. the, I, I, the absolute, you know... Given what we've had this, this week, mm. you know, mm. this was a... Exactly what you said, a very good five-set match with two very good sets played by Sitsipas, two very good sets played by Sinner, and then a nervy final set, but which, in his words, he suddenly found his serve again. And, and I actually found his interview with Jim Courier really quite insightful in that way. And, and he's relaxing in interviews, by the way, This, on, this on is Sitsipas, by yeah. the way, who... Won the match. Who, who won the match? I, I yeah. failed Sorry, to mention I, maybe that. Sorry, maybe we forgot that. I thought Sinner's. I mean, Sinner's got a poor record against Sitsipas. I thought Sinner really improved and showed progress. Um, and I thought Sitsipas showed some some real nerve at the end. Yeah, I, I went through many different feelings. I think during this match, I mean, Sitsipas started it so so well. He looked 
really assured of himself, really confident. His backhand was holding up really well. His forehand was doing a lot of damage. I actually think I came on, well, I know I came on to court uh, after he was two sets to love up. And I, I was talking to Eleanor Crooks of the Press Association. And I said, right now, if I could sort of pick a men's champion, I think I, think I would switch to Sitsipas. You know, I just think I've been just so impressed by him. And then, of course, he went and lost the next two sets and it was looking like he might not even be in the tournament after I've made my big change of prediction, which obviously I'm not allowed to do anyway. But um, Ahead of Djokovic? Well, I just have doubts over Djokovic. But, and I feel like maybe... I felt like Tsitsipas in those first two sets would, would sort of be able to exploit that Djokovic. Um, but anyway, then Sinner had this come back and I think the sort of the sort of story of those first four sets really was just a huge number of break points that Sinner was was generating and largely not converting Sitsipas was sort of generally playing the bigger points better but Sinner Sinner still leveled it up at two sets all and he's got this incredibly fast twitch arm Sinner I, I find watching him up close pretty fascinating he's such a slight small tennis player compared to most of them and yet he's one of the most powerful it doesn't doesn't quite make sense no it doesn't i agree with that and yet it's it's really compelling um but then i must say i thought sinner played a terrible final set really bad didn't create any break points sinner uh, sits past serve better but sinner had been getting in so many service games of his and he didn't at he'd all had, in the fifth Six I think break so. points and didn't create, up until the fifth set. And then didn't create one in the fifth set. Yeah. Okay, and well, then also played a couple of horror games on his serve. He got out of one of them from Love 40 Down. But then the next service game, he was Love 40 Down again. And it just sort of cost him. And we're now in a situation where three slams in a row, Sinner has lost a big five-set match. It's been a good omen. Beating Sinner in five sets, Djokovic at Wimbledon went on to win the title. Alcaraz at the US Open went on to win the title. Maybe maybe a pass here, but I do think we have to start thinking it's time for Sinner to step up and, and win one of these. And it's not, it's not just the five-set matches. It's matches against top players. I think Hannah pointed out that He's now 1-15, and 15, I think, against top fives on the tour and at slams. Mm. Like, there seems to be a little bit of a ceiling there. Are we in why-do-I-lose-all-the-close-matches territory with Yannick Sinner? <laughs> Imagine you're in a lift with Yannick Sinner, David. <laughs> you're, an AT- you're an ATP communications manager again. And Yannick Sinner turns to you tonight and says, why do I lose all the close matches? Are you saying, it's because you don't quite have it, Yannick? Or are you saying? <laughs> Imagine if I said that. To <laughs> <Federer>. <laughs> or are you saying it, it, it'll come? It'll lad. come. It'll, it'll come. come. Um, Just like you said to Roger Federer well, back in the day. Yeah, I mean, look, the, there's a big difference between where Federer was then and where Sinner is now. Federer was nowhere really at that point. He wasn't. He wasn't getting to quarterfinals of Masters 1000 events, let alone semis of slams and all that sort of stuff that Sinner's pushing on, you know. And and Sinner's a couple of years older uh than than Roger was then. But I think my answer is no. I do I do think that final set was a w- will require some 
proper analysis from mm. him and from Darren Cahill. Because I think Cahill has probably helped Sinner get a lot closer tonight. You know, just tactically, I think he... And, and, but, but there was also a really good mid-match adjustment from Sinner in the, the third set. You know, he went from kind of being incredibly explosive but in defence to very explosive in yes. attack. Yeah. And he also he realised that he could pick on the Tsitsipas backhand. And he was relentless on that, that yeah. side. And then suddenly he stopped doing that in the fifth set. So he's gonna, he needs to be forced to watch back the last hour of that match and understand what went wrong. So my answer to you, though, is no, I'm not worried about his five-set record or all that. I think it's, you know, he's just won his first match from two sets down. He's just come back from two sets to, to nearly win this. I think this is just work in progress. Mm. And David is the expert on those uh, lift conversations <laughs> or elevator conversations, depending on what part of the world you're in. Uh, Stefanos Sitsipas will now face Yiri Lehechka in the quarterfinals. And that is because Lehechka came from a set down to beat Felix Auger-Aliassim and confirm the Netflix curse because all players featured in the first five episodes of of Netflix, the Netflix series. And to be fair, there are other players featured in part two, although I think all of those are out apart from Marina Sabalenka. <laughs> it's gone well. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Felix is out. He was a set-up in this. I'm very keen for your feelings about this, Matt, because... I'm just very interested in generally in your takes on Felix Auger-Aliassime because you have you have a little I, I am not faithless but I don't have quite the faith that you have but it's a very confusing situation for me because I don't have total faith in Felix Auger-Aliassime but I do have total faith in you and your takes <laughs> so yes. it's all it's all very confusing. That's your first and I mistake. And w- I want you to, to tell me how to feel about this. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Gosh. Um, <laughs> it's okay. a big question. Well, first it? of all, tell us, Look. how does Felix Auger-Liassim feel about this? You went to his press conference. Yeah, and he was, he was downbeat, of course. And he said the thing which we've been saying all tournament... He never played well in Melbourne this week. He, he didn't. Why is that? I wonder. He didn't play well, and he had no answer to that that he was willing to share. He did say, "I have one or two ideas," but he didn't. He didn't go into detail on them. Um, I think I'm. I'm a big believer in Orjaliasim's top level, and I think perhaps naively I thought that he would have that top level this tournament um you know maybe maybe a sort of davis cup effect that we've seen other players have in the past you know he was he was pretty brilliant in the davis cup and that was a big thing and he was brilliant at the end of last season i know in different conditions end of the season i i do think i factored all that in to my uh belief in him but he never had that top level and without it as we've said before He's not a particularly flexible tennis player in terms of mid-match adjustments. He just sort of keeps doing the same thing and and hoping that it works. And 
eventually he was going to come unstuck and he did today against Yuri Lehechka who was who was awesome and has been awesome the whole tournament he's beaten um Chorich, Nori and Orge Aliasim now that is that is some run that he's on yeah he's i mean he's a good good player i don't i don't want to just talk about this in terms of oh disaster for felix cuz Lehechka's a serious player he is <laughs> I, I like how much he sort of rates himself as well yeah. there's sort of two there's two lines one in the encore interview where um the interviewer said oh well it's going to be tough isn't it against Sinner or Sitsipas and he said well you said that last time against you know before <sighs> I played that. Felix or Norrie you know he he's aware of that and he was also asked in his press conference has has this run sort of come sooner than you would expect and he said, well, the run's not over. Let me... I love it. He said, let me assess my run when it's over. And then I'll tell you, you know, what my expectations were and whether I've matched them or not. He's, he's sort of that. full of belief and confidence. And that really, that really shows in his game. Um, but yeah, I mean, to go back to Felix, I think one thing that did strike me watching this, and I know everyone expresses themselves in different ways on court, etc., etc., but... You know, we've been we've been up close with with Andy Murray in the last few days, and you see him just clearly trying absolutely everything. You know, in terms of mixing up his game, in terms of outwardly expressing how he's feeling, in terms of you know some dark arts, maybe a little bit as well. Absolutely everything to drag himself into a tennis match that he's struggling in. And it just feels a little bit like with Orgelia seeing that he it just sort of lets it lets it happen. It's like what are you what are you doing differently in this contest to change it? And I'm sure he is on the inside, but it doesn't really come across but the thing is, on he, the outside. He has his point winning patterns and he just repeats them. And if they don't work, that's it. It's it's so fascinating, I agree. isn't it? Because he's He's clearly such a clever guy. Yeah. He's a, he's a clever chap, but sometimes his tennis looks brainless. When it's not working, it can look sort of dumb. Like, why are you doing that? It's not working. Mm. I don't think he can do anything else. I think this is his game. I mean, it either works or it doesn't. Mm. I don't think he's got any options, really. I don't see any. Punchy law. <laughs> I mean, he can go to the net more, maybe, but I mean, he, he's not a finesse player. He's not. He hasn't got. A, don't he, I don't see a great slice backhand or a. But you can, you can see, learn a slice backhand. That is yeah, something that we've seen players I add. See, he he wants to dominate with the serve and the forehand, and the problem is if those shots aren't really connecting. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what what there is left. I do, I do agree, and I, I suppose then the question is, well, why weren't they connecting? It, it seemed like it seemed to me that this tournament was kind of set up for him to play well. You know, um, mm. what, why didn't he play well? And a bit windy. Didn't have any of that when he was playing in Davis Cup and all but, those. Indoors. But I mean, he was—he he played yeah, indoors he, the other day. He played indoors the other day and he didn't play well. You right. know, I, I just don't—I don't think it was a conditions thing. I don't—I don't know. Um, like he said, he didn't—he he acknowledges he just was yeah. never quite there this time. That must be—that must it, be really disconcerting. It's a fascinating yeah. 
talking point, isn't it? And I think will remain so for some time because because of this sort of, you know, he looks like he's been factory produced to be a tennis champion. Yeah, and that is what's so interesting about his story. Yeah, and his or some of his fellow players on the tour call him the chosen mm. one, don't they? You know, he's he's got that sort of... What a thing around his neck that is. <laughs> well, yeah, and... That's like next-gen baby-fed, isn't it? <laughs> I guess I would I mean, just... That's what Dimitrov had, isn't it? I mean, he yeah. got yeah. called that. And, but, and it was tough for him, I think. I guess I would just always be pulled in by that. You know, I, I suppose mm. Augelia seemed, for me... He's your Dimitrov. He's, As he, opposed he is, because no, he, and, was, and he's, he was that age. He's a, he was he's the a first concept, sort of brilliant junior that I knew about. We, we, we spent three, four years, Catherine, at the start of this podcast talking about Grigor Dimitrov every ten minutes. Mm. There's no need to relive that. <laughs> um, Grigor Dimitrov relive. A couple of things. <laughs> that's couple happening. Of things. Oh, that'd be a bit sad. One day, that's happening. Um, I'd happily relive the semi-final he played against Nadal here. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. One of... One of the, the great matches. Yeah. Uh, the second men's quarterfinal from this top half of the draw will be Seb Sebi Sebastian Corder against Karen Hashinov, which I've realised is a horrifying rematch of an absolute nightmare that took place at Wimbledon <laughs> last year. <laughs> a nightmare for us, a nightmare for them. Terrible. <laughs> Was it Wimbledon last year? I think it might have been Wimbledon 2021, I think. I could be wrong. 13 breaks of serve in a set? 13 breaks of serve B- in the fifth big set. Big servers on grass. It was... What, what happened? were they playing at? Um, this is because... How did they have 13 breaks of serve in a set, <laughs> in a tie-break set? Well, because it's a long set at Wimbledon in the fifth set. Ah, mm. it was then. So it was. It was. It was, uh, it was ten. So yes, in it must end. have oh. been twenty twenty one. In that it. case, I get it. Because by last yes. year, yeah, my mathematical brain was uh, starting Corder to struggle. Corder beat Hubert Hercatch in a five setter again. Not a thriller. They never played their best at the same time. It did go to a it, a, a it, deciding set ten point tie break. That's when it was thrilling. Yeah, yeah, and it very impressive for. For Corder to win and back up the Medvedev victory despite playing nowhere near as yeah. well as he played against Medvedev. I think that's just as big, really. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I was watching it up close because our commentary box is right on the court there. And uh, watching him go through it was so interesting. Such an, it was, that was a, a real live education from start to finish for Seb Corder. He found out about himself in that match because he wouldn't know. He wouldn't. He didn't know he could get over the line until he got over the line. And I mean, when he won the seven point moment, you know, he got the seventh point. And I thought he'd won. I totally forgot that it's first to ten, <laughs> and otherwise you're not celebrating. And you then, and Daniel Collins, yeah. And then and then her catch went and won the next three points, and it started to get really stressful. And I thought he, I, I thought Corder had gone when it went seven all. I thought he's gone here. He was seven three up and out seven all, and he still figured it out. And he finished with the most stunning mm. match point. To win it. And he I just, was the one that seized it, wasn't he? Her catch. Yeah. Stopped going for it. Was just... 
Hitting the ball back in court, hoping for Corder to miss. Just, it must be such a big deal for a player to win a match like that when yeah. they've never done it before. Mm. And, and, and on that point of him sort of going for it a bit more, we, we speculated, didn't we, after his uh, loss to Djokovic in Adelaide 1, I think it was. You know, would that be baggage or would that be a sort of learning experience? And he very much said that he felt like he was too passive in those crucial moments against Djokovic. And he said he had that in, in his mind today to be more aggressive, try and be more assertive. And I, I think it was only right at the end of the tiebreak when he sort of managed it because he was very tight during most of the tiebreak. But, you know, he got there. And as you said, that, that final point was just absolutely awesome. Um, and I, I heard a lovely story that he told in the press conference, which... I think maybe I'd heard before, but but had forgotten in that obviously Radek Stepanek is is coaching him now. And he actually credits Radek Stepanek as helping him get into tennis because uh, his father was coaching Radek Stepanek at the US Open when Stepanek played a sort of epic night match with Djokovic. And Sebastian was in the box and he said that day he just totally fell in love with the energy and with the crowd. And he sort of he sort of knew that tennis was what he wanted to do, even though, you know, it was already in the family. Um, And yeah, sort of come come full circle because now Radek Radek Stepanek is is coaching him. So I thought that was a nice, nice story. And and his dad, Peter Corder, former champion here, of course, he's not here, which I think, you know, I love it when parents are there watching i'm a sucker for it but i also think you know it's great let him forge his own path he is um, uh, he, he's he, in florida yeah, he's, watching Nelly. he's got other exceptional uh, athletic children to be watching um yeah spotted papped on the golf course this weekend so corda will face hashinov for a place in the semi-finals we haven't got much time here so i'll just tell you that Watching Matt watch the third set of Hashanov Nishioka was the highlight of my day. Matt expected not really to have his full attention focused on Hashanov Nishioka, and he was absolutely living for it because the score was six love, six love, two love, Hashanov. And no, Nishioka wasn't injured, he was just appalling. He won two points in the second set. Two points. In the words of Matt Roberts, I think a club player could have won more than two points against Karen Hashanov in that set. Uh, he goes, good, good club player, but still. <laughs> um, and then and then the comeback starts. He meant himself, didn't he? <laughs> Nishioka, Nishioka finds his game and you start contemplating... The biggest comeback in tennis history. It didn't happen. Uh, went to a tie break in the third. Hashinov got over the line. Good on him. Because in the back of his mind, at least, maybe in the front of it, he must have been thinking, oh my God, what if I lose this? It'll be the, the, worst, so embarrassing. the worst moment in sporting history. Mm. And, and there's, there's one way, I mean, there's lots of ways, but one surefire way to get the crowd on your side and that's be six love six love two love down i mean they were they were going they were going absolutely mad for nishioka every time he was winning a point in that in that third set and 
yeah, I, I just I was I ended up find, finding it really funny that Nishioka was mounting this comeback and that it was even possible that he might win a set or possibly even the match because he was so bad at the start of this match. He's, he smashed a racket, Nishioka. Um, if if he had won that set, they had a character. Hashinov could have disappeared mentally. Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to see it. I, want, <laughs> I, I would have done. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. I wanted to see how Hatchnov would would react in that situation, yeah. and you know whether Nishioka could sort of build some momentum and mount the most improbable comeback of all time. It didn't but happen. But alas, but it didn't it was, happen. It was Hashinov, fun while it lasted. Hashinov quarter will be our quarter final. Uh, what have we got tomorrow? We start at eleven a.m. With Arena Sabalenka against Belinda Bencic. We don't have time to get into it. You can probably imagine how we feel about that scheduling. I get why it's not the first night session match. I do understand why that's Alex de Menor against Novak Djokovic. I I take no issue with that. It shouldn't be 11am on a Monday, Sabalenka Bencic. That is not where it should be. Uh, after that, it is Magda Lynette against Caroline Garcia. And then it's Holger Rune against Andre Rublev. And then, as I said, night session is Dumanor, uh against Djokovic. And then we have a sensation uh, second on on Rod Laver Arena, Storm Hunter, formerly Storm Sanders, and her non-sensation partner, Elisa Mertens, in the doubles against <laughs> Victoria Golubic and Monica Nicolescu. Just hyped Australians in Australia. Yeah. Of but- which... Curiously, Dumanor isn't really one. He's the only Australian <laughs> he's, he's the only that isn't a sensation. He's the only one because who is a sensation. a sensation. And he doesn't get called one by the for local. For a sensation, you have to be sort of overachieving, I think. Yes, I think that's a good way of Alex Dumanor just achieves. Oh, I Although, I mean, if he beats Although John Millman is the original sensation, then he's quite Alex Dumanor, isn't he? In his own way, yeah. Alex Dillon's not happy about that. Yeah, he's worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that makes him more of a sensation. We'll we'll try and Mm. finesse the exact definition of sensation, but but the primary ingredients are Australian and hype. We saw the original uh, inventor of the term today. We did. Matt got very excited in the media (laughs) cafe, and he said, "That's a sensation, guy." (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we'll go and have a look. I've missed him. Uh, first on the second court, Bob Bryan is. Ba- oh, hello! Uh, oh, who Bob, are they beating? Bob Bryan and Barbara Shett are taking oh. on Mike Bryan oh. and Cara Black. Oh, that sounds dramatic. I actually, might tune wow. in for some. Except I won't because it's clashing with Sabalenka Bencic, so actually won't see a point of it. But, but I'll check the score. Uh, <laughs> second up, it's Donna Vekic and Pam. God, Taking Pam. on uh, Linda Fruvitova. <laughs> Pam was playing the legends then for a moment. <laughs> With Donna Vekic. With Donna Vekic. One day, Pam, one day. Go on, Pam. Uh, and then uh, final match. Oh, no, there's only a day session on second court tomorrow. Four matches in the day session. Third of them is the Sensations, Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler in men's doubles third round action. And then finally on that court, Roberto Bautista against Tommy Paul, Blake Shelton and JJ Wolf are third up on the John Kane Arena. First up there is Elena Rabakina in doubles action with partner uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. They take on uh, Aoyama and Shibahara, the 10th seeds. Uh, and I think that is it. Oh, no, it's not it. 
all the way out on the Kia Arena, uh, Carolina Pliskova and Zhang Shui in uh, fourth round action. Uh, that is the only singles match of the day on there. We've got four sensations last up <laughs> on the Kia Arena. Oh, my, it's sensation-tastic over there. Um, you've got, oh, Goff Pagula in doubles on the Kia Arena. And then it's just, look, if you want double sensations, it looks like Kia is the place to go tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> The second week is about to begin in earnest. In fact, it's already begun. It's quarter to three in the morning. <laughs> what are we doing here? What are we doing with our lives? We're having the time of our lives is, is what we're doing. It's brilliant. This Australian Open uh, is sponsored by On Location, the premium uh, pr- hospitality and experience provider. And, of course, Steve Fogel's international tennis tours that are offering... Uh, that 5% discount code for friends and the competition prize open to newsletter subscribers in the US and the UK. So make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter for that reason and for myriad other reasons, Matt's stat included. Uh, we have our mascot for the tournament. That is Cordelia. Hello, Cordelia. She's majestic. David has his mascot, Maisie. I've got Zenia, Matt has Darwin. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. She's not enjoying the cold. Back home is Billie Jean. Don't tell her how nice the weather is out here. We have our top folk, <laughs> we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Drew and Hannah. And Matt, we have shout outs. We've got Tristan Amy, who is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Tristan. Hello, Tristan. I don't know if there are any tennis Tristans. I think Tristan might be a one-off. I think you're an original Tristan. And Tristan is a high school tennis coach. Ooh. There you go, see. Could have been a contender. And also a florist. Oh, that's a great (laughs) combo. I expecting that. (laughs) I like it. Absolutely love it. Superb. That's very like a storyline in a rom-com, isn't it? High school (laughs) tennis coach, florist on the side. That's right. Yeah. Meets a meets a potential romantic interest doing something floral. I don't know. (laughs) Cheers, Tristan. I'll I'll finesse the details. Thank you, Tristan. (laughs) We'll get back to you. We've also got Wojciech Lizak, who is in Poland. Like (gasps) Wojciech Szczesny? Yes. Not a tennis player, but an athlete. But an athletic reference. Yeah. I think I've done well there. So exciting. We've got a Polish shout-out. Is there a... Hang on. Is there a Wojciech... I feel like... Is there a tennis Wojciech? Feedback? Is that right? Yes. Well, it's your era, David. All right. I think you're right. Yeah. And I think Wojciech Feedback has some um, Hubert Hercatch connections. Yeah, I think so. He's out of the tournament, though. So anyway. <laughs> Wojciech, Wojciech, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and finally, we've got Mike... Pet Salis, who is in Ooh. Montreal. Oh, hello, Mike. Love Montreal. One of my very favourite cities. Like Mike Bryan, who we've been talking about in this show. Who's going to do the Legends doubles double. And probably gonna win, probably. They're probably going to win the Legends double for the next 12 years. <laughs> yeah, they? that's true. Um, thank you, Mike. Cheers, Mike. Thank you very much to all of our friends of the pod. You're the reason that we're here in Australia and... 
It's brilliant. We're delighted to be here. We're loving it. No matter what time of day we're recording these things. So thank you for listening and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.